Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Rhubarb episode 21. Uh, now, this is a what we've been watching episode, and it's going to cover pretty much all of May. So, we've got quite a few things to get through. Um, I think I might have missed the little introductions there. So, I'm Max Wood, and I'm joined by Jonathan Carley. Hello. This is episode 21. Go. We're now of legal drinking age in uh, in America. So, <laughs> this may get crazy. Woo! So, let's get started. Um, not, so not so crazy, then. <laughs> <laughs> it's late. It's been a long week, Johnny. <laughs> um, okay, so first up, what I've been watching is a little series called American Gods. And this is kind of like the latest series of that's going to be marketed as the next Game of Thrones, which gets thrown around pretty easily these days. Um, I've only seen the first episode. There are five episodes out at the moment. And it's based on a book by Neil Gaiman. And he's said that he thought this book would be unfilmable. And that's kind of why he wrote the book. Because he was sort of bored of uh, bored of doing things that made sense, apparently. And wanted to do something a bit crazier. So he wrote American Gods. And now it's been turned into a TV series by Amazon. Um, again, only seen the first episode haven't got a clue what's going on trying a bit too hard to be edgy maybe kind of uh if you've seen the first episode then there is one scene that will stand out i think i've mentioned it to you johnny and you'll know which one i mean if you've seen it um yeah it sounded like my perfect night in to be fair (laughs) (laughs) just your average weekend really yeah really Um, nothing i haven't seen before well i mean done before but not okay seen all right um yeah so I was going to say, have you ever heard of the internet, Max? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Have you seen anything about this, Johnny? American Gods? I've seen some advertising of it uh, because Amazon, their marketing is on point. Uh, I know Ian McShane's in it. um, So he's done quite a few. He's actually a British actor. He's a northern British actor. There's a couple of British actors in it, actually. He's made it across the pond. He's done Pirates of the Caribbean and was it Deadwood? I don't know. Uh, but he's done a few series, so this is like his new big role, I suppose. But beyond that, I, I knew it was written by Neil Gaiman. Um, and then next thing I knew, you sent me that description of what happened in that episode. And I was like, okay, um, <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll leave you with that. Let me know. Let me know more as it develops. Um, but would you say it's, it's living up to the reputation of being unfilmable? <laughs> well, is it even possible? Because it's been filmed. I mean, they've tried, um, but has it been done successfully? Hard to say because it really doesn't give away much in the first episode. So, I mean, it's been renewed for a second series already, so there's obviously been some level of success. Mm-hmm. Uh, the lead character in it is actually from Oldham uh, in Manchester, which is interesting. Okay. Uh, he was in the Hollyoaks. Um, oh, a hallmark of quality. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't say that. I've been in Hollyoaks, so... <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> and no one's ever going to call me again. Hallmark of quality. Um, so I don't really have much more to say on that. Uh, check that out if you fancy some crazy, crazy stuff. Um, and that are is American st- Gods, and gonna- that's on Amazon uh, Prime Video. Are you going to stick with it? Um, I'll give it a couple more episodes. Uh 
maybe I'll wait until all the episodes are out before I carry on with it. Okay, and just blaster we'll it. See how it goes. Yeah, because we'll things that I want to talk about. Well, no surprises here. I want to talk about Doctor Who. Uh, it's <laughs> back after a year off and the awful, awful spin-off class in between. Uh, something has finally come along to take that bitter taste out of my mouth. Uh, because this series, series 10, has, touch wood, been pretty damn good so far. Um, we have a lot of new stuff coming in. Um, we have Pearl Mackey as the new companion, um, playing Bill Potts, who has been an absolute breath of fresh air after the status quo of um, the Peter Capaldi-Jenna Coleman combo, which was it wasn't a bad combo but i think they'd exhausted the possibilities of that relationship bill really has vibes of uh, of rose from the early series of doctor who when it came back which is a hugely positive thing she's identifiable she's um you know, she actually behaves like a human being uh, which is very very welcome um one thing that some people may be curious about is that she is also um it was announced before the series aired that she was going to be a gay character. And initially when this was announced, I was like, oh, God, no. Not for that reason, but for reasons of how it was going to be handled. Was it going to be done with a sledgehammer? But again, I have to eat my words. It's been done really, really well. And she's really been, uh, like I said, a breath of, breath of fresh air and the glue to really weave through this new series and make it interesting again. Because my apathy has really faded away. I've got back into it. Because I was, and this is saying something for me, on the verge of giving up. Um, so it's very cautious going into this. And we've had seven episodes. And it's not... There have been ones that are better than others. and But none that I would say that have been bad. Um, so I'm really, really enjoying this series. More than probably last year put... Not last year. The, the series before put together. I'm just hoping it can maintain this for the um, for the rest of the run. It's still got six episodes left. No, five episodes left. Um, so if you've never seen Doctor Who before or you've taken a break, great opportunity to jump back on um, and you may be pleasantly surprised. Uh, but I shall update you all as to whether it has um, survived or whether its reputation has maintained itself all the way through. Um, but one little detail I do want to... Um, put, well, a couple of little details, actually. There have been no returning monsters so far, um, which has actually proven to be quite a positive thing because we're getting a lot of new, original, fresh ideas rather than just getting Daleks and Cybermen, which were kind of where it was starting to go a bit wrong and feel a bit repetitive and in the motions. Um, Cybermen are coming back. That's not a spoiler. It's been widely announced. Um, but so far, it shows that the series can make its way on simple original ideas. But also, on a technical level, uh, the fourth episode, Knock Knock, um, starring David Suchet in a, in a guest role, um, has received special treatment. And it's been produced with binaural audio, or 3D sound in, in layman's terms. So it's a kind of haunted house story. So you can listen to this on iPlayer with your headphones in and it's got 3D sound. So things that go bump and creaks and sounds and that are as they would sound if you were actually in the room, which is a really, 
It's a fascinating technical exercise, which I think really should just be standard. Um, but also, in the context of the story and the atmosphere it's creating, it's really, really effective. I thought it was just going to be a gimmick, but it's done really, really well. So I'd highly recommend checking that out if you can. It's called uh, Doctor Who Enhanced on the iPlayer. So that get that cool. one still online. I'll check that out. And what I don't understand about that is like, it's because you've still only got two ears and two speakers, presumably, from your headphones. Yeah, but the that? it's done with uh, microphones that are... You can do it in post, or you can do it as live. You can get two microphones that are representative of the human ears and pick up sound and the dimension of sound and the distance it would be in relation okay. to your head to mimic that effect. It's like um, It's like 3D pictures. You know it's not really 3D, but it gives you that effect. Yeah. Um, you you kind of have to listen to it to understand it, but it's um, I've been because I did um, uh, radio drama at university, and that was my first encounter of binaural sound. And I've always been a bit intrigued with it ever since. I would love to see this become the norm because it's just a fascinating development and so much more uh, immersive uh, with telling that kind of um, telling that kind of story and that kind of media. All right, cool. I'm going to check that out. Um, so next up, I had the chance to watch Hidden Figures, um, which has been out a little while now, but it was actually on a flight that I was on, um, which when I was flying to New York, we had no TVs in the seats, oddly, and we only had the little screens down the center of the plane to watch. Um, so I watched Hidden Figures, um, disclaimer, couldn't read any of the little text that was on the screen because it was so small. Uh, so I didn't really find out much about the characters or any... Or se- there was a couple of uh, sort of typewriter scenes where they were focusing on typewriters, so I didn't catch any of that. But um, in general, pretty good film, actually. Um, well worth a watch. Mm. You know, nothing sort of particularly that hasn't been done before, but all the characters are really, uh, really quite good. Uh, the acting's great uh it's mostly factually correct um i did look up afterwards to see how how true it was because it's based on the true story of a group of african-american female mathematicians Mm. who worked at nasa during the space race so you can imagine um what that would be like given that they were female and african-american in that time period, yeah, um, and that sort of poses a lot of interesting situations and challenges for the the characters. Um, uh, it's a bit of a feel good film in the end, I guess. Well, it's, it's um, trying to sell a positive message, isn't it? And, and it is. Highlight, yeah, highlight those people that contributed to one of the or one of mankind's yeah. greatest. And it, it definitely does. It definitely does. There's a couple of bits which um, aren't quite factually correct. And there are some sort of surprising bits that are su- surprisingly correct. That um, one of the characters has to is personally asked by an astronaut, uh, John Glenn, uh, to double check the figures for um, re-entry. I think. Um, and in the film, it's kind of set up in a really sort of heartwarming way that she she gets asked to do this. Um, uh, and that is actually true, apparently. So that was that was quite cool. Um, so yeah, that's Hidden Figures. I don't think it's available for streaming anywhere, but I wouldn't be surprised if it is yeah, soon. The, you know, the, 
I wanted to see Hidden Figures actually, so I'm glad that you've, you know, one of us has seen it now. Because um, I remember yeah, the release was, was a bit dod- was a bit dodgy because it came out for a little while, then disappeared. Then the Oscars happened, it was, and it uh... came back for a second run, and then disappeared again. So it had two it's very kind of one of those runs. Oscar Oscar films, you know, in the lead up to the Oscars, and there were just yeah, it, so it, it many. It was films nominated. On. I forget which categories, but it was nominated. Um, yeah, I think uh, didn't one of the actresses win win something for that. Might have done. supporting actress. I might be wrong. It's a few months ago now, so I can't remember. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what I did last week. Um, I'll look that up. But that was a uh, hidden figures, and yeah, definitely a thumbs up from me. Um, recommendation. Let me just quickly look. Oh no, it wasn't. It was sorry. It was Viola Davis in Fences. Not a. Uh, it's not hidden figures. Um, for best supporting actress. Do we know what it did win? I, you know what? I don't know. Don't know if it did. Don't know if it did win anything now. Well, it definitely got nominated. I remember that. Yeah, hundred percent got nominated. Yeah, because that's. I think that's probably the only reason it got on. on yeah, my it was nom- nominated for best support supporting actress. Which is a shame, really, because it's it's kind of the message the the film is trying to make is to give recognition to these vi- these people. Yet the film doesn't get you know the publicity and the wide release that it needs yeah it's uh it's quite ironic i suppose unfortunately but anyway next up better call saul uh the breaking bad spin-off has commenced its third series um starring bill odenkirk as well not so much saul goodman but jim mcgill um saul goodman's past identity or original identity rather um now, when Breaking Bad finished, everyone was distraught. Better Call Saul was announced and Breaking Bad fans were celebrating. Um, however, I was sort of one of those. I, I binged Breaking Bad towards the end, loved it, uh, before Better, Saul Call, Better Call Saul came out. And I just don't get it, basically. Um, I feel like... I'm just waiting for it to get good. It is such a slow burn. Such a slow burn. It is like between series, I'm forgetting what's happened. And you know, it's getting to the point where you could watch episodes from series one and pick it up on series three and not a lot will have happened in between. Or not that you can pick up with a couple of lines of dialogue. Um, are you just... up to date on this then? Are you, yeah. are you seen all of season three as well? Uh, it's halfway through season three. Oh, right, the latest not. episode came out yesterday, and I haven't seen it yet. So I think it's okay. on six episode six or seven now, um, and it's just kind of really peddling the same plot point, and just really kind of thinking how much further can they go with this? And even if they do go further with this, I'm probably still not going to be interested. Can we talk about something else? <laughs> um, and when the foot does go down on the accelerator, things do look like they're going to hot up and it's going to get quite tense and have those... You know, the, remember those end-of-episode moments? Slams on the brakes, the next episode talks about something else entirely. And I was like, what? What? That's um, just TV, though. I know. I know but <laughs> I just don't feel like I'm getting anything out of this. Um, there are interesting bits in it, like, for example, Mike Hermantrout... Uh, is is in it um and he's probably more interesting interesting than um jim mcgill or or saul because he's still from that 
Breaking Bad type universe of, you know, that moral gray area um, with a bit of action and action and uh, adventure involved. And there is a standout episode, I think, in season two, which goes into his backstory, which is incredible. But so far in season three, there just hasn't been anything. Although the scenes he is in, he completely steals the show. Um, There are other returning characters in season three. I don't want to spoil exactly who has come back although many will probably have already guessed from teasers from season two. But the feeling I get is that they're just kind of pasting old characters onto this to kind of feign interest or to bait people into watching again. Um, And it's hard to tell whether they're actually going to do anything with them or if it's just eye candy. Like, for example, do you remember the two, the twin um, hitmen from season two of Breaking Bad? No. With the act. With the axe and the funky no, fuse. Too far back. Too far okay. Back. Well, they appear in one shot of an episode and then they're never seen again. <laughs> they hired these same actors back again, didn't do anything with them apart from have them nod in shot, and that was it. So I'm really sort of bewildered into where this is going and how these plots and subplots are going to tie together because they just seem completely detached and I kind of wanted to just focus on one and do it well. But it will round up in the next month, so again, I'll have to update you as to whether that was done satisfactorily and whether I'm going to stick this one out, because I'm really, really struggling with this. Yeah, I kind of fizzled out on season two pretty early on, actually. I was really surprised with season one because I expected it. It didn't It didn't look interesting at all after Breaking Bad. I thought, you know, they kind of picked one of the least interesting characters. But Yeah, so the, the, I didn't the, premise, the premise good. on paper didn't sound all that interesting, but like you say the way it was executed was actually quite interesting and exciting, a bit yeah. tongue in cheek, um, but done fairly well. Season one, I think was probably the strongest, but like yeah. it has couldn't, just, just stick tre- with it. Second season, just, it's just been treading water since it's just been yeah. treading water, which is a shame. Uh, I, I made it back into it when I see headlines of, Ooh, this happened. Um, but it's a very hard one to stick through years on end. So it may be one to come back to when it's all finished, tied up, and just watch it all the way through. All right. I've got something that'll interest you, Johnny. Okay. Fast and Furious 8. You've lost um, me. <laughs> so I was desperate to see this when it came out, but I was really struggling to find someone to go and see it with me. No one would go and see it with me. Why am I, I not surprised? I didn't want to be that guy. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a great series of films. You know, it's just, just a bit of fun, you know? Um, movies not meant to be fun Max movies are meant to be serious serious artistic vision (laughs) so I'm a pretty big fan of uh, Fast and Furious series as a whole used to watch um, the first couple uh, you know the original Fast and Furious two Fast and Furious even Tokyo Drift all the time back in school used to watch all the time and now we're on number eight, which is kind of hard to believe, but uh, this one is pretty good. Um, it's I thought it was better than the last one. I saw it while I was on holiday in New York, and a lot of it's actually set in New York, so that's quite a nice surprise because I hadn't seen any trailers until then. And there's some quite sort of fun uh, concepts in it that have not been done before, so taking over, taking control of a lot of cars, and kind of like drone and using like drones. Um, oh, like self-driving cars that you like the Tesla you get now. Yeah, yeah. 
that was quite cool. Uh, there's a, a lot of good sequences actually uh, with The Rock and uh, Jason Statham and Charlize Theron is really good in it as well. Um, it's a pretty strong entry. Sorry, not pretty strong entry, but pretty strong, uh, pretty strong film for the series. To be honest, I would recommend it for fans fans of the series. Maybe you got burnt out on the last two. I would come back to it. It's probably not as good as Fast and Furious Five, and it's kind of not as fun as the original ones. But I mean, they're getting on a bit. I mean, it's clearly an action film now. I mean, I think everyone knows these, yeah. these are just action films. Would you recommend it for a non-fan? Uh, I don't know. It depends. You just don't go in with any serious expectations. It just clearly doesn't take itself seriously and. Because of that, you can have more fun watching it. You don't, you're not like, oh, why have you done that? That's silly. Yeah. Like in Alien. Common. Yeah, I, I understand they're not not meant to be movies that you yeah. think too much about. I mean, I'm pretty sure at one point they drive a car on a submarine <laughs> while it's crashing through the ice or something like that. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what they haven't done yet. They must be running out of ideas. Fast and Furious um, in space. I mean, you know what? I I totally watch that. That'd be amazing. I know you would. Kind of like Armageddon, where uh... starring Tom Cruise. Oh wow! Imagine if he joined the series. Johnny, get me excited. Um, just imagine, kind of like Armageddon. You know, instead of training some astronauts to drive they, in space, they train the they Fast and to... Furious gang. Yeah, exactly. They train the Rock to be an oh, astronaut. Oh my god! I've probably and just given then... them their best idea ever. They have like a space race on the moon, oh and it'll be great. They should totally do it. I can't believe they've not done it already. It'll happen. Um, it'll happen. That was Fast and Furious Eight. Is eight it also? Is it also true that there's doing a Fast and Furious spin-off with Jason Statham? I don't know. I think I, I read this recently. Heard of that. It may be a, a rumor or something, but I saw it recently, which is. If it is, if that is the case, it's quite quite surprising for a film that's on its eighth entry to then commission a, uh, a spin-off. I'd be surprised because uh, I won't get into spoilers, but you know, Jason Statham plays a big part of the film. Big part of this film, really. You know, okay. I don't I don't think they'd get rid of him. I don't think they'd spin him off. I think they'll keep him. Okay. Also, crazy fact that's just occurred to me. Isn't it weird that we now have the same number of Fast and Furious films as Star Wars films? Wow. Wow. Have I just blown your mind? <laughs> I mean, what other films have made it? There's not many films that have made it this far in a series. Alien, maybe? Yeah, how many Alien? Four. Rocky? No, I don't. Actually, has there been six Alien? Oh, no. If you include Alien vs. Predator. And there was AVP two, wasn't there? And then there was a was there another one? And do you include Predator in that as well? I don't even know. I don't know. Well, Rocky's had at least five, five original six, films. Seven. Then they had Creed, Rocky Balboa. Then they had Creed. That's yeah. seven. I mean, they're pretty good as well. Yeah, I watched Creed uh, recently. I'm not going to talk about Creed, but I watched it. Uh, yeah, it's a good film. Yeah. I like uh, so. I'm wrapped up on that. You can you can move on if you want, Johnny. Okay, I shall shuffle on along. Have you seen uh, any Fast and Furious films, by the way? I haven't. Not oh. my cup of tea, really. Oh. I, th- I think, I think um, my problem was I didn't get into it at 
at the age when it came out. I think yeah. that may be a, a key factor, perhaps, because you know they they are typical adolescent boys' films that that they will lap up. And I just wasn't. <laughs> I just wasn't in that. Pra- it's the kind of film that you watch to feel like a grown up, isn't it? Uh, I just, I just I didn't. The opposite to feel like a kid. Okay, for, for a grown up to feel like a kid, but a kid to feel like a grown up, maybe I don't know. I'm probably reading too know. much into this, but I just completely missed missed the uh, missed the fad at the time. But anyway, uh, <laughs> next film, Dark Crystal. Um, this is going back a bit now uh, to. Well, what prompted me to watch this was Netflix has announced that they are making a prequel series uh, to the uh, Jim Henson Studios classic. Um, It's going to be called The Dark Crystal Age of Resistance. And they're going to be using all the original techniques, so puppets, animatronics, um, etc. And they've unearthed all sorts of uh, original concept artwork, which looks amazing. There's a teaser out there. Check it out, because it looks... Uh, brilliant and I've always been aware of the Dark Crystal but never actually seen it so I thought now's as good a time as any to take the dive and have a watch and um, I'm not going to lie it is a kids film Um, and it's taken on cult status after that uh, which is where I'm kind of where I'm appreciating it from but I can see if I'd seen that as a kid I'd have probably loved that and that would have been the kind of thing I'd take, I'd carry with me going on, which is, which is weird because it's, um, it's like a modern fairy tale. It's quite dark and quite scary, so it's not really suitable for really young kids. Equally, you've got a very slim bracket where it is appropriate before you get too old for this and you won't be seen dead watching it. Um, but assessing it from you know this cult standpoint and an, aesth- an aesthetic level, it is brilliant the effects and the animatronics that they used are would be perfectly passable today absolutely probably actually better than a lot of the effects we get today and um some are better than others not gonna lie um but the but some are just you can't really fault them and becomes so immersive that it carries it through um through the whole thing and just the sheer vision that jim henson had was uh was incredible um and it absolutely shows uh both with the characters and the set design and everything that comes with it it's it's almost like as well no, i don't want to say as dense as lord of the rings but of that ilk but condensed down into an hour and a half which is really really impressive and telling a coherent typical fairy tale type story the, the storyline is probably the least interesting part of it as it's nothing all that exciting by today's standards Um, but it's perfectly adequate for the audience that it's aimed at Uh, should probably explain what it is actually Uh, it's about Jem the last of the Gelflings which are elf type creatures also presented as puppets which are the weaker parts because they're more or less humanoid um, who has to locate a shard of the great crystal and avert the Skeksis, which are sort of um, vulture-type creatures, uh, vulture-reptiles, from ruling the kingdom forever at the aligning of the three, three suns. So, typical fantasy fairy tale fare, and you can probably work out how that resolves itself. Um, but 
it's just realized really really interestingly um if you just look at any stills you get a real flavor of um of how effective it is and there's no cgi and I'm no stills right now and no human characters there are no on-screen human characters or human actors uh, aside from uh, stand-ins for the gelfling puppets so it was the first live action film which did not feature any humans on screen which is quite a landmark when you think about it and the way i kind of summed it up in my head was it must have been like the avatar of its day uh, to realize that kind of visually rich world um the the likes of which no one had ever seen before so back in the 80 i think 80 82, 82 yeah so that must have completely blown minds it was um it was a flop when it came out a financial flop um <laughs> because it went it came out at the exact same time as et it um, looks utterly terrifying i'm going to be honest the the stills oh, look it does. horrifying it does um, this is the kind of film that I, if I've watched as a kid, it would give me nightmares. Oh, absolutely. That's what I mean about this narrow bracket. There's that narrow bracket and in terms of age, but also in terms of just general like type of kid it would appeal to, that kind of genre. So it does have a limited audience, but like I said, it is so visually rich. There's so much to appreciate in there, um, and I can't praise that enough. So, yeah, I would... I would recommend checking it out if you like cult films, if you like the kind of if you like physical effects, and you like uh, Jim Henson's work. Okay, cool. That was a uh, Dark Crystal, the Dark Crystal. Um, so last choice from me, which is a bit of a weird one actually. So this this might come uh, as a bit of a shock because my last choice is a rom com. Um, so it's a film called Crazy Stupid Love. So Laura wanted to watch this film. And I was a bit apprehensive because because you're off, a man. <laughs> no, just because rom. No, I don't have a problem with rom coms. It's just they tend to follow a very, a very similar formula. Yeah, and yeah. Go down yeah. a very similar line, and they just, I just don't find them particularly interesting to watch. But this one was quite good. Um, so obviously, at first I was a bit apprehensive. The fact it's called Crazy Stupid Love is enough to put you off and then when you see the box art that's 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 worrying you get worried there and then um is it the typical uh rom-com box art poster oh, yeah. the two oh, characters yeah. laughing not looking at each other on white <laughs> text i don't think red. it's that bad i think it's like a the whole cast on there it's got like quite a good cast uh ryan gosling uh steve carell emma stone julianne moore oh yeah that, uh, yeah uh, yeah Kevin Bacon as well. Um, oh, that isn't the uh, film I thought it was. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and so, first five minutes in, and it's not bad. And then, like fifteen minutes in, I'm totally, I'm totally into it. I'm like laughing at all the jokes. I'm, you know, getting really into it, and it is a really good film. Uh, sort of general gist is that uh, Steve Carell's wife in the film divorces him. And he goes to bars like mope, like you would get divorced or whatever. Um, and he meets this sort of uh, pickup artist kind of guy, who's Ryan Gosling, and sort of teaches him the ropes about how to pick up women. And it's, it just kind of goes from there. I won't spoil it, but for a rom com, you know, anyone out there, you know, if you know your girlfriends 
or boyfriends are into rom-coms and you've not seen this, then I really recommend it, actually. You know, well, I've, I've uh, just... A um, lot better than many Google. other ones I've seen. I've just put it into Google Images to sort of get... Well, to find see whether it had the uh, the typical poster and just get a feel of it. And um, it just wasn't what I was expecting. So that does suggest that there's something a bit more to it. But what's just really distracted me is that the uh, the headshot of Steve Carell that they've got looks like they've photoshopped Steve Carell's features onto Paul Rudd. That is not Steve <laughs> Carell's head. <laughs> I'd know that head anywhere, and it's not Steve Carell's head. Um <laughs> But it, it sounds a lot more interesting than most uh, films of the genre. That you know, no, it's pretty good. It doesn't. It, I mean, generally, it surprised me. You know, it follows the usual. Uh, you kind of expect who's going to get with who and whatever else the rom coms tend to follow. But you know, there are a couple of surprises in there. And uh, is so. There's a point. That, <laughs> is there a point watching. to this, point to this film then, rather than just being yeah, definitely another rom com. Well, I mean, you know, it's 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 not too serious, but it's kind of a chilled sort of fun watch. I mean, it probably okay. should have ended about ten minutes before the end, but it's still right. good. You know, it's a good film. Uh, definitely recommend it for sort of cheesy or not watch. cheesy. Yeah, yeah. Cheesy or not cheesy? Give it a go. Not cheesy. Not cheesy. Not cheesy. Like, okay. I thought you said cheesy, but not cheesy. Kind of. Okay. Well, we'll go with cheesy, but not cheesy, if you want. So yeah, like, I mean, uh, it makes sense. It follows like, some of the cliches, but it's not. It's like lactose-free cheese. Bad. It shouldn't exist, <laughs> but it does. <laughs> um, so yeah, that was that's crazy, stupid love. I'm not sure if that's available for streaming anywhere. Had that one on the old-fashioned DVD. Okay then. Um, well, so, funny we should end on sort of similar topics because my next pick is Master of None which has finally returned for its second series. And I would go so far as to say that this is one of my favourite series currently. Um, it's exclusive to Netflix, so all of Series 2 went off in one day. And me and the other half, we watched it all in a weekend. Um, and we just lapped it up. Um, it's written and stars Aziz Ansari, who some of you may know from Parks and Recreation. Uh, basically, he's the one Indian guy in most... Uh, most American film and TV series at the moment. Um, and it's um, it's quarter-life crisis, the series, is the best way I can sum it up. Uh, I can't really call it a comedy. I can't really call it a drama. Um, it's that weird middle point that is eerily true to life. Um, I'd call it a witty drama uh, in that there are funny bits in it and it is amusingly presented, um, but it doesn't stray into out and out loud, laugh out loud farce but it's the laugh, laugh out loud moments but it doesn't it's not forcing it it's not overly written for that it's just trying to be true and it's quite quirky um which has really clicked with me because there's so much like i've seen aziz ansari's stand-up shows and he picks up on a lot of the quirks of life that i'm like yes that someone else understands and this series kind of puts those um, those quirks into practice, which is so so cleverly done. Um, the main story of uh, season two is Dev trying to find a new uh, life balance. He's got a void in his life now from the events of series one that he's trying to fill with friends, experiences, and trying to form new relationships. Um, 
you'd be I wouldn't recommend starting with series two. Go back and watch series one if you can, because uh, episode one is of series two is unusual because it's set entirely in Italy. It's all in black and white and is mostly performed in Italian uh, because uh, according to uh, according to my sources, uh, Aziz Ansari went out to Italy, learnt Italian as part of preparation for for the uh for the story um and it kicks off a slow burning storyline of him becoming very close to a close friend that he's made during his time in italy where he's been learned to make pasta called francesca who is engaged to a marble merchant uh how stereotypical italian can you get who is um very work focused and quite boring really and you can probably work out from there what kind of dilemma is going to develop from that so in Dev, she finds a companion for various uh, experiences and a lot of common ground. Uh, and you know, this dilemma develops an internal conflict. It's basically about fancying people that you shouldn't um, and indulging yourself when you know you shouldn't. Not in, a, not in an outward way, but just internally with your feelings, um, which is... You know, it's... You see so much of this series and think, yeah, I've probably been there, even if we wouldn't like to admit it, um, and explores them in quite internalised ways. Um, but beyond that, there are in each episode is an uh, individual story uh, with a different theme, and there are some real standout moments. Like, for example, there's one episode which focuses just on the lives of random people in New York, like we see uh, Dev and his friends in the opening shot. They walk out of shot and that's their contribution done until the last shot of the episode. And we just follow different people around the city. Uh, like, for example, there's um, a shop assistant who is deaf and her little story is played entirely in silence, um, which is his interesting little journey and, and uh, an aside. It doesn't contribute anything to the wider story. But it's just a nice little exploration of this environment where a lot of this, you know, these unseen stories that take place in this environment that we wouldn't otherwise get to explore. Um, and then another, probably the best in the series is called Thanksgiving, which focuses on the supporting character of Denise, who is a black lesbian, which understandably is not easy in um, certain parts of society and in certain parts in, uh, of 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 that culture especially when coming to terms with that and growing up so it does pull a bit of a moonlight on us um and it's a it's a very touching and emotional episode focusing on um on a supporting character in a in an interesting way um and it just showcases the best that this series can do so i it's a testament to the writing it's a testament to its characters a testament to its actors really cannot recommend this enough it's going to be the one it's going to be the type of show that you're going to have to try it to find out whether you'll like it or not i can't say who will definitely like it and who won't but if you're you know, if anything that i've said is at least any in any way resonated with you it's worth trying at least episode one of series one but yeah it I, all I, I started watching that episode um I think it only had like 10 minutes, so I just sort of stuck it on. And, I, you know, it, it was better than I thought it was. I just sort of forgot to go back to it because um, I was a bit unsure about it because it, it, with it being kind of 
because uh, he's sort of known as an American comedian, and sometimes mm. that doesn't really gel with me. That uh, uh, the American humor. Yeah, well, same with me. But like I said, Aziz really strikes a chord with me because the th- things that are just common across us all, like I say, these quarter-life crisis issues, like you know, you're young, free, and single, all your friends are settling down, getting married, have kids, and you're having that freak out. But actually, those who are in the, that ideal situation of settling down are also freaking out, and it's not so idyllic. Um, so it really just touches upon that truth in a, in a, in a very intimate way. And that's the key word that I put towards the series is is, is truth. All right, I'll uh, another one to put on my list again. This so many things. The list keeps getting longer, doesn't it? So many things. I mean, I've got a list on Netflix, a list on Now TV, a list on Amazon. So many lists. Um, <laughs> and that is all I think we've got to talk about today. Um, so join us next month. Well, we'll be doing June, what we've been watching. You know, if you've got anything you think we should watch, send us an email, send us a tweet. We'll try and check it out. You know, uh, more people who do it, more chance we'll check it out. So please don't send any really awful ones just to wind us up. <laughs> Actually, no, do do that. I want to see you get annoyed. <laughs> um, so you can email us, rhubarbpodcast.gmail.com. I'm on Twitter, at Max Wood. Johnny, you're on Twitter as well. At Jonathan underscore Carly. Yep. And, and you can find the podcast on Twitter and Facebook. Usual places, usual yeah, names. Yeah. You got it. Um, thank you very much for listening, everyone. Have a great day, and we'll see you next time. Thank you, and good night. Mm-hmm. Bye. Mm-hmm.